Welcome to the Professional Writer Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Christensen, and I'm here to help you confidently plan, launch, and grow your writing-related business. You'll find the show notes and a link to all the things that we discuss in today's episode over at bloggingbistro.com. And today I am thrilled to welcome a guest onto the show. Her name is Lisa Baldwin. I have been trying to get Lisa on the show for quite some time because she is an entrepreneur after my own heart, or a writerpreneur, I should say. She has gone through the process of self-publishing a book. She's here with us today to talk about that process that she has gone through. And since this is an episode in my series on investments that you make for your writing business, Lisa's going to get down and dirty and share some of the things that she spends money on in order to run her own writing-related business. I did that with you last week in episode 71 on the show. And so she's going to give some really practical examples of what it takes to become a self-published author. Lisa believes, there's a little bit about her, she believes that everyone's life contains an original and soul-inspiring story just waiting to be told. She recently retired from an award-winning career as a grant writer, and she has now launched her Encore career and pursued her life's passion of writing from the heart. And she has captured her story and she published her memoir called She's Still in There, Healing the Wounded Child Within. And she published that this year and it is a 2021 Cascade Award winner. Can you tell us a little bit about the Cascade Award for people that are not familiar with that, Lisa? Oregon Christian Writers offers an award program every year, and what's really nice about this particular organization is they offer awards for unpublished writers. So at the time that I submitted my manuscript for review and part of the award process, it was unpublished. So that's a real benefit for those of you that are really looking to get your work not only looked at, but kind of out in the public's eye even before you publish. So I did win in the memoir category for my my book manuscript, and then I did go on to publish not long after that. Well, congratulations. That's really fun to have that honor when you're still not yet published, when your book Mm -hmm. is not yet published, to, to have that recognition. So for those of you that didn't quite hear what Lisa said there, that is through Oregon Christian Writers, and they have this uh, Cascade Awards contest every year. Now back to Lisa's bio, Lisa's fervor for story is fueled by true accounts of everyday miracles and their power to transform even our most painful memories into moments of grace and healing. And Lisa's writing reflects how God reaches into people's lives to renew and restore them to wholehearted living. And I have read her memoir. She's still in there. And that's really kind of the theme of her memoir. And she also writes and presents devotions and other Christian-inspired works for her local faith community. And you can find Lisa at her website and her blog, lisabaldwinwriter.com. And I'll include a link to that in the show notes over at bloggingbistro.com. I would like you to share with our listener about when you first realized you wanted to be a writer. Well, being a writer has been with me ever since I was just a young child. I've always loved books and stories and putting words on the page. And I I wrote stories and poems from the time I was just a very young child. Often I would turn them into my teachers for writing assignments. But I would say that I knew I wanted to be a writer as a profession 
probably in high school when I was the editor of my high school paper. And I got a lot of affirmation for that from my teachers. But then as I got to college and I did declare a major in journalism, life happened. And I did not pursue full-time professional writing in my adult career. I actually majored in social work and went on to work in that profession instead. But having said that, the writer has always been in me. And grant writing actually became the way that I was noticed in my work as a, a social worker and in public service for many years because I would write the grant proposals. Um, uh-huh. And they found out that I was I had the ability to write. Guess what? That's why I learned to grant write. And as always on a shoestring string budget, so there was always work to be done to acquire new grant funding for the programs that I worked for, which were in the area of alcohol and drug programs for treatment and recovery and juvenile corrections. My ability to write, even in my, my human services career, really helped me. Recently, you retired from public service to create your brand called Life Stories. Tell us a little bit about how you came up with that tagline, Life Stories, and what that means to you. That uh, means a great deal to me, the operative word being life. I desired to tell my own life story, which I did in my memoir. She's still in there. But when I launched my, as we call it, brand, and I launched my website with your help through Blogging Bistro, I knew I needed a tagline. So life stories reflects my, not only my desire to share stories from my own experience, but from others with a life-giving focus, because there's just so much negativity in our broken world. And I wanted to be able to offer readers content that expressed everyday miracles and ways that God shows up for us at the point of our greatest need in really out, you know, extraordinary ways. So that's the focus of my blogging that I do. And I've been doing that since April. I launched it concurrent with the release of my book. And I have found life stories to be a great outlet for my my desire to write. As many of you readers know, writing a book is a really hard task. Writing blog posts is a really enjoyable activity for me. I enjoy the stories that just kind of land in my lap and I sense a nudge. Oh, you should write about that. People would love that story. And I've gotten great feedback that readers I've loved some of the stories I've put up, and they aren't mine. They're oftentimes others. Let's talk about your own memoir. When you began thinking about writing your memoir, did you envision self-publishing it? Did you do some research into the industry to find out a little bit about the difference between self-publishing and traditional royalty publishing? Did you try to get it traditionally published? Because this is a question that a lot of new authors have, particularly memoir authors. What was the process that you went through, Lisa? In my writing journey, as I began to compose the first draft of my memoir, I I joined a local writing group. Cannot stress that enough. And so there were published authors in that group that informed me about how this works. I wanted to complete my really great manuscript and hand it off to an agent and a publisher as a gift to the world Mm -hmm. and never have to really hustle to make it work out there in the reading public. What I learned as I went through the editing process and through just a lot of great people that entered my life in the writing world, an unknown author wanting to get an unknown manuscript published by a traditional publisher is akin to an 18-year-old showing up in Los Angeles with a six-string guitar wanting to get a record contract. And I could have done that. And I was actually writing queries and I had done a lot of work and 
how to write queries. And I've done a writer's digest workshop and all of that. But I got some really great counsel from a very wise and very experienced writing coach who gave me this metaphor and then said, oh, you need to go do this yourself. If you feel this strongly about your message, and my book is a very message-driven story, and you want to get it out there, you're going to have to take it on and, and do it. And I, I went away from that coaching session that I talking about paying for things. I actually paid for this and went, oh. this was not how I wanted the story to go. So it was from that. I had to really process that and work through that. I wasn't done. I had a really tight, well-edited manuscript ready to go, but I was just getting started. Throughout the publishing process from start to finish, you worked with a series of professionals who helped you with various parts of the book publication process. And it sounds like the first person that you hired gave you the advice not to traditionally publish, but to go the self-publishing route. That's correct. And as someone that I greatly respect, who has 25 years in Christian publishing and has published himself. And I have to say, had a little buyer's remorse on that coaching session because that is not the message I wanted to hear. <laughs> I wanted to hand off my manuscript and say, here you go, world. Go and read this and be inspired. That's not how it went. It was from that, though, that I did launch into the steps. And there are many that you have to go through to have a really high-quality self-published book. One of the things that you did in the beginning parts of your journey to getting your memoir published was to become involved in several organizations. Tell us a little bit about what you did and how those organizations are helping you along the way. Well, the first thing I realized is that you cannot do this on your own. You really do need to work inside of a writing community. So the first thing I did was find a local writing community, as I said. I vetted all my work through critique groups inside of that group which was very helpful for um, making me a better writer. And also being able to critique other people's work made me a better writer as well. From there, I, I was able to work with a writing coach who walked me through how to complete a story, which is a whole different talk, okay, the craft of writing. But I also got involved with a Facebook group that I just kind of stumbled across called Everything Memoir with Susie Flory, but she has just incredibly helpful resources Facebook live sessions, materials that really can walk you through all of this work as well. Through that, we did a a writing retreat with Kathy Lipp in Writing at the Red House, and that introduced me to West Coast Christian Writers. And it was that group, actually, Laura, where I met you, and from where I was able to tap into the talent that I needed to help get me through the self-publishing process. Wow, that's a lot just there for starters. So you, you don't walk alone. In. Don't try <laughs> no, to no. try this alone. <laughs> I cannot stress that enough. I will put the link to Susie Flory's Everything Memoir group in the show notes. And Susie was a guest on the Professional Writer Podcast. She was my very first guest. I actually started with Susie because she's a good friend of mine. And I wanted to have somebody who would show me grace if I messed up for my first guest. I've even acknowledged her in my book. She's in my acknowledgments. Yes, I saw that. 
And her Everything Memoir group is fantastic. I've been in it since it started, and it is growing like gangbusters. It seems like everybody in the world has a memoir inside of them that is just waiting to get out onto paper. And her group offers fantastic guidance for those of you that are looking to publish a memoir and you want to know the basics of how to do that. And then you also mentioned uh, Kathy Lips writing at the Red House. I haven't been to that one, but Kathy, again, is also a friend of mine. And she was a guest on the podcast, too, back in the early days. And then you've joined West Coast Christian Writers, which has at least one annual conference. Their in-person conference is every February. In 2022, it's going to be an in-person conference. It was virtual during 2021 and 2020 because of COVID. But hopefully going back to having an in-person conference, and that will be in the San Francisco Bay Area. And the link to that will be westcoastchristianwriters.com. Those are three of the organizations or people that you tapped into that then introduced you to more people that could help you along your journey. So keep going. Tell us what happened next. Well, I came up with a list of tasks of things that had to be accomplished that I knew I needed to have in place in order to self-publish. The first thing is, and I can't stress this enough, is you have to hire really competent editors. So the first edit that I paid for was a developmental edit because I had written way more content than anybody would ever want to publish traditionally, and maybe even readers would want to read. I mean, you can't write Tolstoy, okay? It was really long. And I knew that I needed help to scale that back. It was just too, it's my memoir. This is too personal to me. I did actually contract with a developmental editor. That was one of the first people that really took a hard look at my book manuscript and came back with some really helpful counsel and advice on how to scale it back. And also led to my decision also to self-publish because mm-hmm. this person has self-published quite a bit as well. Got a lot of counsel from her. Then you have your completed manuscript and um, there's so much more to do. I knew that I would need to have a social media platform. I'm not a huge fan of that, but I knew that was essential for an author. I knew I needed a website. So I first, this is pretty funny, actually. I, I first attempted to build my own website because people said, oh, you could do that yourself. You don't need to hire someone. You don't need to pay anyone for that. So I I liken that to the metaphor about the homemade cake. You can bake a birthday cake and you can bake it yourself and it'll taste delicious and the person you give it to will love it. Or you can go to a bakery and get this professionally made cake that not only appeals to the taste, but is absolutely stunningly beautiful. And so I was baking a homemade cake on the web and it wasn't working out. Okay, (laughs) it just was much harder than I thought it would be. And that's when I contacted you, Laura, and I contracted with Blogging Bistro to build my website. Best decision, hands down, I've ever made. As a Christian writer, message-driven book, I wanted to have something so beautiful for God. I really did. I wanted to give him absolutely the best I possibly could, and I wanted it to look like it. And unfortunately, we get judged by that, by not only the world, Mm -hmm. but by Sometimes even our own faith communities can do that. So I wanted it to look like it mattered because it does. Hence, there was that piece of it. I had to hire people to do a logo. I'm very happy with my branding and my logo. And then I had to hire really a corral of editors <laughs> for people to help with things I never dreamed I'd have to do. I did hire a copy editor and a proofreader. Mm-hmm. And that same individual also did the interior book formatting for my, my actual book. And it's funny because once you start doing this work, you start looking at all the books that you're reading and you start thumbing through the inside of them and going, oh, I like how that looks. And you never pay attention to that as a reader. Really, you don't. Until you're getting ready to publish, which again, 
you get to choose what you want it to look like and how mm -hmm. I wanted a larger font. I wanted a few graphics. I mean, that kind of stuff. I could have hustled and done it myself. Amazon has a very robust platform on which to do that. But again, do I want a homemade cake or do I want a bakery cake? You mentioned a copy editor and a proofreader and then somebody who formatted the interior for printing. Yeah. Was the copy editor and the proofreader the same person or were they? They are not the same person. You become familiarized with the manuscript too much mm -hmm. to actually be a proofreader. And that happens to even the professionals. Again, do not attempt to do this. I cannot believe, I thought I had a, such a tightly woven, flawless manuscript. I just couldn't believe the mistakes I found. As a reader, you know this is true. When you're reading along in a book, if you find any mistakes at all, you just lose credibility as an author. You just do. Readers will do that to you. And, and they should, because again, it should be a word perfect, flawless manuscript. And I really was committed to that as well. So those so are you need somebody very meticulous as oh. your proofreader. Is that after the book has already been formatted and you have like a galley of the book? Typically that happens or after you've got a, a completed and, and formatted. Yes, because it's, mm -hmm. again, it'll leap off the page at you if there are mistakes in the final galley. So your proofreader does that work for you. Some proofreaders charge by the page, some by mm -hmm. the, the word. I did a little bit of research and looking around at web developers before I hired Blogging Bistro at editors and copy editors. I had a lot of people that I reached out to that I asked for proposals from, and I did not take the least expensive bid. And I'm really happy that I didn't, because I think that you really have to spend your money wisely and be mindful that not everyone's going to treat your handcrafted book with the same level of care as, as you would like. So I tended to stay within the Christian community for those services. Not that I, you, you can get them anywhere. Literally, you can't. But I felt more comfortable because the content of my book as well. And people got my mission and what mm -hmm. I was up to. And that was really important to me, too. And you might spend a few pennies more. Worth it. Absolutely worth it. That old cliche, you get what you pay for, is absolutely true when it comes to editing. You're probably going to get a sticker shock when you realize how much it's going to cost you. You will not be sorry. I know personally, because I know some of these people that Lisa worked with, is that all of us, and I'm one of the people she worked with, all of us have a heart for working with Christian authors. Mm -hmm. We all love to over-deliver. We under-promise and over-deliver. That's kind of our motto about the way that we do business. And we also, when we're working on that client's project, we treat it as if it were our own with the same care and meticulous looking at every little word, in the case of your website, looking at every little thing and trying to get it as close to perfect as humanly possible. And then going back and fixing our mistakes because we all make mistakes. Absolutely. And it's just a matter of owning up to it and going back and fixing it and not making the same mistake again. If I can add to that, who you hire to do your work for you, if you're conveying to them your story, your fiction or nonfiction, memoir, prescriptive fiction, Christian living, whatever it is, and they aren't willing to spend the time with you on the front end to hear what this book means to you and what your vision for it is, you don't want to work with them. And that happened a couple of times too. They're just, they were trying to kind of do a little bit of a sales pitch and move you through a process and I just did not get a very good feel. So you have to kind of go with your gut with some people that you're going to be working with in self-publishing. And there are so many people that are going to hustle for your work and they'll hustle for your, for your budget. So be mindful of that. 
it sounds like you interviewed several people before you decided ultimately who you were going to hire to help you with each piece of the project. I did. I didn't do a huge search, but I did quite a bit of homework. We've got up to the point where you're hiring somebody to help you with the interior formatting of your book. I know you also hired an illustrator to I help did. you with a cover illustration and cover design. Mm-hmm. What are some of the other people or things that you paid money for to get this book into print? I broke it out into categories. There was, okay. there, there was pre-publication, there was publication, and then there's hidden costs, things that you just don't huh. anticipate. Pre-publication, I took courses. I honed my writing craft. I paid for those. Uh, I have a local writing group that has a very gifted former English teacher, actually, that was a phenomenal help to me and and all of us, actually, in teaching um, some classes. So there were books and classes that I took. As I said, I paid for the developmental edit. That was one of the most expensive things that I paid for. I paid for coaching. There were a couple of individuals that I really needed some really wise counsel from. Again, I had no idea what I was really taking on. So I paid for coaching. And those are all before you even get to looking at publishing. And then once you publish, you need things like a photographer to do professional headshots. You really want those. And yours are beautiful, by the way. She, I that's, found the greatest photographer here locally. Yeah, she. That's one of the things I love best about your website is we spent some time going through and picking out pictures that we felt would be most appropriate to go on the different sections of your site. The outfits that Lisa chose to wear for her headshots match the colors that are on her website to a T. I it don't think pretty. I've ever seen any author do that before. It was, it was a amazing. little bit serendipitous, but I do like those <laughs> colors, so I tend to wear them. We also took them outdoors in an arbor. And and a lot of my story is about the woods and how I'm in the woods as a child. And even as an adult, I encounter God in in the woods. And so I'm in a woodsy kind of environment. But I also selected the photographer based on the work that I saw that she had done online. And I could see into her photography that almost the personality of the people that she shot. I'm like, oh, I, I need to hire her. Again, it's one of those, okay, I'll just pay for it because... You don't want your best friend and their iPhone shooting your pictures for your No, I don't probably think, not. <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, it'll show up like a homemade cake. In publishing, yeah, there was the cover artist. And actually, that's a one area of my, my work that I, I kind of did on the cheap. And the reason why is because you can just spend a fortune if you want an original piece of artwork for your cover. Well, I called a friend because he was an art teacher. And do you have, can you recommend someone? And he recommended a college student. And I had to work with her and bring her along in my concept. It took a little while, but it was totally worth it. So again, very happy with my cover. So I got original art done for my cover. I've talked about the editors. There were three of them. My web designer, who we're speaking with now, and graphic designer, who was immensely talented. And can I just say, when it comes to market and business sense, I didn't even know what I didn't know. Okay, it was so bad. (laughs) You should all be clicking on to Laura's podcast every (laughs) week. You will learn so much. I had to do an EPUB conversion because I offered my book Mm -hmm. as as a Kindle book. So we had to pay for an EPUB conversion. And the formatting, you want to have a professional looking book on the inside. People are reading along. They kind of just settle in. If there's anything in the way of the reader experience, that funky formatting is going to get in the way of, you want to eliminate that. So that's why I did that. I wanted to do some really easy reading formatting. Because that pulls you out of the story when you stop and you don't want to have to pay attention to the formatting. You want the formatting to just make it a natural flow so that the reader stays immersed. Background music, you shouldn't even hear it. It should just be And you really don't want to notice it in a bad way. No, that's what typos do. <laughs> typos and mistakes jolt a reader like a speed bump. You don't want those either. 
then the hidden costs were things like you have to pay for an ISBN number. You have to buy two of them, actually. I use song lyrics in my memoir. I had to go out oh. and find and get permission for reprinting some of my song lyrics. Yeah. Good point, Lisa. And I'm glad you did that because a lot of self-published authors just willy-nilly break copyright law. And it makes me slightly crazy when that yeah, happens. I know, but I have a nice paper trail of requesting permission. It's somebody else's work that they have written and you should respect that. So I'm all over paying for it. I didn't mind that. And it, did you pay for those song lyrics? Did they charge you a royalty fee for did. to use their lyrics? Some did, yes. but a couple of them did. I have also, since I published, entered my book in a couple of writing contests. Now, I think those are kind of almost a fundraiser, maybe for the organization. And I'm fine with that. But they are. You do have to pay an entry fee. You have to buy business cards. Laura and I just did business cards together. Yes, and we I, did. I love them. I have not ventured into advertising, but I know that's something I'm going to have to begin to look at. If you want to create an audible of your book, if you want to have um, an audible book, again, you can pay a narrator or you can do it yourself, but it's still going to cost you money for that as well. And then there's ads you may or may not want to buy. And your book, it was published through KDP. You have a Kindle version as well as the print version. Did you have a certain amount printed up or is it print on demand? It's print on demand. So okay. they don't print the book until somebody orders one. Got it. In terms of breakdown of Kindle versus print books, I would say it's probably about a about a 40-60 split. A lot of people read on Kindle. It's cheaper. When you so, say 40-60, are you talking 40% Kindle, 60% print, yeah. or the other way around? No, 40% Kindle. I'm really okay. interested in doing an Audible. I think a lot of people are, are listening yes. to books, too. I have heard some really great things happening to authors who either record their book themselves, if they have a decent recording voice and good recording type studio, or who hire somebody to narrate the book and record it on their behalf. So those are both options. Do you have any idea which way you would do if you went with Audible? I'm still with the <laughs> homemade cake versus the bakery cake. <laughs> Here's a question that I know my listeners are probably itching to ask. Would you be willing to give us a ballpark figure for what a self-published author might want to invest should they go a similar route to you, where they're hiring several different professionals and investing in courses and programs and books and all the things that you just talked about? It was really important to me, as I've conveyed, that I have something that was truly excellent and that represented the God that I love and want to serve. Spending the money for me was, it's an investment in the kingdom. And my husband and I really had to come together and agree on that as well. We're investing in our faith. And so it's a different feeling about when you're spending that money, that this is not just, I'm going to go out and buy a, a new car or a vacation. We're investing in God's kingdom. And then the other thing is, how bad do you want it? Because you have to be very, very self-motivated to get through this. And you have to have a really burning desire to see your book in print. And you're willing to do what you need to do to get it there in a reasonable period of time. And I also want to say that I loved working with other Christians because I felt like I was investing in their work too. And I know you're all mission-driven. So I would say if I had to break it down by category, the most expensive services are editing. Editors will charge you by the page or by the word. It's either, you know, three cents a word, $8 a page. I had a really long manuscript. So editing for the developmental edit was about $2,600. The copy edit was less. That was about $1,700. The proofread was mm -hmm. almost 1000 
So editing is something you're going to need to pay for. And again, you are paying for what other people know and you don't. All mm-hmm. those rules of English, yeah, you need somebody else doing that for you. So you're paying for what they know. With regard to website development, that's going to vary. As you know, Laura, maybe you could speak to that better than me. That's also a, a large investment of money, but you're going to end up with something you love. My book cover There's no limit on what you can spend for a book cover, depending on the artist that does your work. I spent $650, that's all it cost me, to have an original piece of artwork done. It was worth every penny. But I also built a relationship with that young woman in the work, and it was totally worth it in that regard as well. Book design and typesetting is going to vary. My book design and typesetter charged me $500. The ebook conversion was really cheap. It was like $85. But I had already spent a lot of money with this individual professional, so she kind of cut me a break on some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. ISBN and barcodes are going to cost you $275. Your post office box. You don't want to put oh, your yes. personal address out there for the – got to buy a P.O. box. It's like $250 a year. Okay. That's right. You we talked do. about that in the last episode. That's one of the business essentials that you need, that I think you need, is a P.O. box or a UPS store box so that you are not publishing your home address. No, because there don't. are certain places like your email marketing service requires you to publish a mailing address in each email that goes they out do. to your subscribers. And so your subscribers see that address. You do not want that to be your home address unless you want, well, unless you want the public to know where you live. The other thing is, this is totally personal, whether or not you want to hire a coach. Again, people think, well, why should I have to pay for coaching? You won't know what you don't know until you hear it the first time. You go, oh, I didn't know that. And this information is just golden from experienced people who have been been writing and publishing for years and they're worth their salt. That's a very personal decision. I found it to be incredibly helpful. One of your questions, Laura, was, was there anything I spent money on that I wish I wouldn't have? And the answer mm-hmm. is no, not a nickel. Not with how things turned out. Now, I am not burning up the tracks and I'm not burning up any bestseller lists. You won't ever probably break even as a new author or you're not going to get a lot of notoriety. You're not going to have 50,000 subscribers to your Instagram and social media accounts. Your goal in your publishing is very personal and it's between you and God. I do check my metrics on that stuff, but honestly, it's never a goal to break even or even make money. I don't know. Maybe I will. Maybe I will. I shouldn't Mm -hmm. discount that thought, but it was more of a joy just to finally be able to say, I did it. That's an amazing accomplishment, especially since you have just now walked us through all the different things that you did in order to get to that place. Here's the thing that I've learned as a published author and as a longtime writing professional. Publishing a book, especially self-publishing a book, is definitely, as Lisa's saying, it's like a labor of love. And you may not recoup your investment monetarily speaking. However, what I discovered through the book publication process is it widened my horizon so much. I met so many amazing people and those people have connected me to other people and other people and other people. And I have grown my writing related business in ways that I never would have imagined possible back when I was writing that first book. Mm -hmm. It's just like one thing led to another that led to another that led to another in ways that I never imagined. 
And so that's what's really fun about publishing a book too. And being where you're at right now, Lisa, with this first book that you have out is like, what is going to happen next? I don't know. That's a really good (laughs) question. As you describe it, Laura, it's like opening a door to a community of people that they're like you. They become your people. They become your tribe. And they become your readers. They become your advisors. They become your friends. And you mm-hmm. share so much with them. And it is about the work of being a, a messenger, a communicator for the Lord. Do you have any final thoughts that you would like to share with our listener? I don't want to discourage you. I don't. But I do need to let you know that it is an arduous journey. Don't lose heart. Don't worry if at times you feel discouraged and you think that it, it might not happen. Or if it does, will it work? And then. Once I have my story out there, that's actually almost more unnerving than what? What if nobody reads it? Don't lose heart. Stay with it. Keep it up all the way through from beginning to end. When you hold that published book, finally, in your hands, there's just nothing like it. It's not the same as holding your firstborn child. I'm not going to put it in the same category, but it's pretty close. (laughs) (laughs) That book, baby. (laughs) It's my book, baby. Oh, my goodness. Look what I did. A wonderful feeling. And then you turn that over to God and let him do with it what he will and watch what happens. Thank you so much, Lisa, for sharing all that you've been learning with us today on the Professional Writer Podcast. And listener, if you would like to get to know Lisa, you can tell just from hearing her voice that she is an outgoing, personable woman, and I'm sure she would love to hear from you. You can head over to her website, it's lisabaldwinwriter.com, and I'll put that in the show notes at bloggingbistro.com. Thanks, listener, for joining Lisa and I today, and we'll talk with you again next time.